Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. You know what I'm excited about, Wendy? I know what you're excited about, Mike, but you should probably tell everybody what you're excited about. Okay, we're getting the Sunspot See You on the Other Side van, getting ready to go up to the UP, the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, uh, this weekend, and we are going to retake the Upper Peninsula for Wisconsin. <laughs> we are uh, bringing our own personal mystery machine full of all of our See You on the Other Side and Sunspot goodies. And yeah, yeah. I can't wait. So if you guys are coming to the Michigan Paracon, it's in Sault Ste. Marie, look for the bozos in the See You on the Other Side t-shirts, and that will be us. But no, we're looking forward to seeing people we've had on the podcast before, like the Haunt Investigators of Detroit. They're going to be there, and Jeff Belanger is going to be there. I think Chris St. Booth's going to be like. There really is a huge amount of people going, and and we're going to be there too. Yes. Causing trouble. Don't forget Greg and Dana. Yes. And the Newkirks. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, the Traveling Museum <laughs> of the Paranormal and the Cult's going to be. We really are excited because it's like a whole bunch of people who've been on the See You on the Other Side podcast getting all together, talking about paranormal stuff, and um, planting the Wisconsin flag once again <laughs> in the Upper Peninsula where it should be. <laughs> like, there's no reason that the Michiganders should get all the big feet that are in the UP and that's and that forest up there. I agree. You know there's something going on up there, and Bigfoot's up there, and Bigfoot belongs to Wisconsin, not the Michigan. Let's not forget okay. that it's also at a casino, so we'll probably be gambling. Hey, maybe we can earn some money for Sunspot and then, you know, double or triple it. Oh, that's the plan. Okay. I think the plan is what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we've already got the new van, so now we're going to get all new broadcasting equipment for See You on the Other Side, oh, the next uh, yeah. 2.0. And right. the thing is, we'll talk about the ways that you can donate to the See You on the Other Side gambling fund at the end of the show, too. So <laughs> oh we'll, get, we'll get there. Don't worry about that. A good, anyway. Good investment. <laughs> speaking of paranormal conventions, our guest today, I first met him at the Milwaukee Paracon last year. And I think you guys all met at, the, at Chicago Hauntings. I actually, um, I met him at Milwaukee Paracon last year. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we, we all ha- did. Well, no, I, I knew him for a long time, but all right, okay. everybody so, saw him there. <laughs> so Allison from Milwaukee Ghost is joining us today. I'm obviously Mike. Hi, Allison. Hi. And also joining us today, let's give him his due props here. David Parr is the creator and co-star of Chicago's longest-running weekly magic show, The Magic Cabaret, now celebrating its 10th anniversary. David provides guidance and instruction to other magicians in his highly regarded books and his lecture appearances across the United States, including at Hollywood's prestigious and extraordinarily secretive Magic Castle. Most recently, David appeared on the CW Network's TV show Penn & Teller Fool Us, where his magic skills were put to the ultimate test. He's with us today to talk about stage magic and its relationship to the paranormal. Thank you very much for joining us, David Parr. Welcome. Great to be here. <laughs> awesome. You know, I think we want to start with, we gave, we gave everybody the, your, your professional introduction there. We want to start with a little bit, uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Where are you from originally? I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Behind the cheddar curtain. <laughs> 
Oh, it's all drippy. That's, yeah. a good, that's a good way to put yeah. it. That's a good way to put um, it. Uh, but when I was growing up, my grandparents lived in Evanston, a suburb just north of the city of Chicago. So I spent a lot of time in Chicago when I was a kid. Um, and I've always had lots and lots of friends there. And so when I wanted to start this show, The Magic Cabaret, I thought, well, I'm going to have to cast a wide net to find a, a performance space and a theater company that would be willing to co-produce it. Um, and I just thought, I'm going to have better luck in a place where there's a lot more storefront theater and stuff. So that's why I took it to Chicago. Sure. There, there's my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good start. I have to interject that, um, you know, I think maybe the first time I met you, David, was probably when you did that seance at the Vromdor Mansion. Yeah, yeah. So many years ago. It was just yeah, I was doing my Halloween show um, at, a, at a bed and breakfast, basically, that had a theater in the basement, um, downtown Milwaukee, and... The one of the owners of it was a was an actor I had worked with in, in the past, and she was like, "Well, I'm 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 looking for something to do for Halloween," and I was like, "Well, I have the show for you," uh, and and basically it was like a it was a yeah. tour, Ooh, it was like a weird little magic show that moved from room to room of the house, and then ended up in the in the basement in this little theater space where we did a like a reenactment of a. 19th century seance that sounds so fun it was so amazing and um you had some literary things that you did that night too didn't you yeah yeah i mean i i tend to uh my main interests beyond magic are history and literature so uh we actually ended up doing uh just before i started the cabaret in Chicago, we ended up, we did at the Brumder, we did an Edgar Allan Poe version of that same show where like each room was mm. a different Poe story you were walking into. And then there was a seance to, to a contact Poe's spirit at the end of it. Yeah, I saw that one too. And that was just so awesome. When I think about seances, I think about the episode we did about, um, Houdini and yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the yeah. paranormal bromance, and how there was that <laughs> there was that certain woman that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle like really loved, and Houdini just thought it was all obviously poppycock, and um, uh, probably the medium Marjorie. Yes, and so I mean Marjorie was controversial yeah. and stuff like that, and she'd have ectoplasm fly out of her hoo ha and stuff. And so I was wondering <laughs> when you did your there was a lot of that seance, going on David, back there. Uh, uh, by the way, a lot of that going on back then. <laughs> when when you did your seance, David, um, you know I don't know how to spoil the magic show for people to see it, but is there is there going to be any ectoplasm flying around? Let's say, no, okay. no, nothing quite so uh, exciting. No slimer. <laughs> or well, or well, it, here's the interesting thing. I think in looking back on the the whole spiritualist movement of the 19th century, it it grew up and originated in the same area of the country where basically uh, the women's suffrage movement. Yeah. And, uh, and they were, they were intertwined. Um, and I think part of the reason why so many women ended up 
becoming spirit mediums was that in the seance room, you could say and do things that social constraints would not have allowed you to say mm. or do as a, as a woman right. in 19th century culture. Um, so, you know, they could get away with doing things that while under spirit control, that would not have been uh, <laughs> allowed. made me do it. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I mean, of course there's, you know, we're, we're talking about the racier aspects, but, you know, there, there are... But it was everything. A, it was, it was yeah, political it, speech. Absolutely. Uh, sociopolitical speech. I mean, it was all involved in the women's suffrage movement, and they could say things that were uh, politically provocative and and get away with it because they were they were in a trance and it was okay. Yeah, it was help, but it, in that way, because you know, it was so popular, it was helping advance society. And there's a whole book about it actually called Radical Spirits. Yeah, um, yeah, an and excellent it talks book. about you know mainly the the. Uh, you know the women's rights movement, but but also there were a lot of spiritualists uh, involved in in many of the major movements, mm-hmm. including abolition. Yes, um, you know they were very anti-slavery, and so a lot of the progressive ideas uh, that have just become a part of our culture, and hopefully will stay part of our culture. Right now, they're extremely under attack. But you know, a lot of these ideals that we take for granted were brought to us. By the spiritualist movement, right, right, and and so for for us to like, and it, and it only cost a lot of people their <laughs> credulity and their beliefs yes. and their money, and it was only at the price of every kind of realistic kind of paranormal well, investigation. Okay. So now that's 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 the other side. So there's two sides to anything, and you know, sure, there's a lot of problems with the spiritualist movement, but when you think of spiritualist. You know, like the, the frauds are all you you tend to think mm-hmm. about today, and you know there's a lot there's a lot more that that they had to offer. But you know, getting to this, we got to talk about Penn and Teller and fool us, okay? Because that was just so amazing. Because you fooled them. I did. Let's, I fooled their faces that. off. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and you got the special trophy with the the fu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fooled us. Which, by the way, was whisked out of my hands the moment I stepped off that stage. Because that's the prop one. That's the prop one that lives in the flies above the stage. So Are you still waiting? Yeah, I'll get the real one when I go back. With your name engraved and everything, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That'll be the real one. Okay. I hope you get the thing. That's just like they don't just send you a pin that says F U or something. No, no, I get the the actual trophy. trophy. Yeah. Now they also say like that people might get to work with Penn and Teller. So was that you know they yeah. said we fool us? Yeah, I'll be booked to go back and do a spot in their show <gasps> in Las Vegas, and that's when I'll get the actual trophy. I'll I'll perform the piece that I did on the show, and and uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. I think it will be in September. I that's my guess. Congratulations. Well, we'll have to make sure that everybody knows when the date is announced so that all of our friends who are in Vegas can come and check it out. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, And, and, and so let's, let's dig into it a little bit. So how did you fool them? What do you think um, you did that prevailed when where, where so many other magicians have failed? Um, well, let's set up the trick real quick. It's a card trick. Okay. And, you know, David, I don't know if you're predominantly, you know, some people are card magicians, some people are illusionists. 
This in particular is a card trick, and I don't know how you would describe it in magician's parlance. Um, it's magicians would call it a do as I do type of card effect, um, meaning that the the participant in it is basically mirroring the the performer's actions. And uh, and you didn't just have a participant in it. You had Allison Hannigan. Yeah. The girl yeah. who the girl who famously said one time at band camp. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's the one that made Bored that. Bored now. You know, she's <laughs> the, she introduced that to society. Well, we like to think of her as Willow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That was a big deal for me as a Buffy fan sitting next to her and getting to hug her at the end. That was the Yeah. <laughs> I would have done that even if I would have fooled it. I heard her hair smells nice. Her hair smells pretty. <laughs> I can attest to this. <laughs> like strawberries? Hand. Not strawberries, no. Un- okay. Let me think about that. I'll More think of, of an woodsy, analogy. I woodsy don't know. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. All right, work on that. Yeah, it's the Stalker Podcast brought to you by <laughs> See You on the Other Side. So anyway, I, <laughs> I developed this piece of magic while my leg was broken. And in testing it, I showed it to when I got the booking on Fula's. I, I actually wasn't going to pitch that idea to the producers of Fool Us because I thought they probably get hundreds of card effects from magicians all over the world. So I pitched them a string of ideas that were all all did not involve playing cards, and they mm. rejected every one of them. And then it came down to, well, I have this one idea left. I might as well pitch it to them. They're probably going to say no. And that was the one they liked. And I specifically said this would be fun to perform with the host of the show. And I think that was the idea they latched mm. onto was they could imagine Allie Hannigan having a fun time. <laughs> and she did, it appeared. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she was perfect. I mean, and that's that's zero rehearsal or anything. I mean, all of that was a surprise to her. Cool. And uh, when you guys do it, now one thing I was interested in is number one, like what's the, where's the teleprompter and stuff? Because um, it seems to me like some of the jokes that they have her do are so cheesy, you know, like, you know, purposely, you know, they're purposely, it's obviously to the, the broadest audience and stuff like that. But it's like, are you aiming these at preschoolers or what are you doing? <laughs> some of those jokes they have her do. There's no teleprompter. There's no teleprompter. And the whole thing's recorded in front of an, a live audience with basically no rehearsal. And it's all a surprise to Penn and Teller. They don't. They don't even tell Penn and Teller who's been booked on the show. Oh, that's cool. So that when your name is announced and you walk out on the stage, it's a surprise. And um, so, uh, so anyway, so when I I got the booking, I started testing the the piece by performing it for friends of mine who are magicians, and I I perform the piece and then say, okay do you have a theory? And many of them, to my surprise, said, well, I got so caught up in the fun game part of it that I forgot to look for signs of the method. (laughs) And so they were fooled by it. And I thought, okay, cool. This is going to work in my favor. So I had initially estimated my chances of fooling Penn and Teller at about 30%. And and after I showed this to a number of magicians, and they said that repeatedly, that they had gotten so caught up in the sort of narrative of the thing that they forgot to look for method, 
uh, I bumped my chances up to 40% in, in my mind. Um, <laughs> and then when you blew them off the table, off the, off, <laughs> off the stage, then it was 100%. You're like, I got you, big guy and dude that doesn't talk. Yeah, well, the look of surprise on my face at the end when they admitted they didn't even have a theory. That was so cool. Was That was genuine. I, I was shocked because I, I'd never seen that happen before where they didn't even have a guess. Um, they were just, they had nothing and they had conferred for a long time. I mean, what you see on the show that aired is about 30 seconds of nearly 10 minutes of them talking and trying to come up with a theory. Allison Hannigan and I ran out of things to talk about. She was interviewing me after I performed the piece and eventually she ran out of questions to ask me. So I started interviewing her. <laughs> and uh so I'm like, so Allison, you see a lot of magic. Do you, are you able to, you know, let go of the puzzle mind and just enjoy the mystery of it or are you always trying to figure it out? And she said, "I I think I'm a little of both." And so then we talked about the value of mystery and the, you know, that feeling of not knowing and and being able to like stay in that place and 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 enjoy that feeling and and the people who can't let go of the puzzle mind that you know they're everything is a puzzle that demands a solution sure. <laughs> everything in life and uh and uh so and then and then eventually i ran out of things to ask <laughs> you her you got philosophical it and, sounds like <laughs> right you're like yeah oh we totally did we totally did and uh, you know, because the other thing she asked me about, she said, I, I hear you've, you know, worked as a director in theater and, and an actor. And she said, do, do you think that helps as a magician? I said, absolutely. Because I think, you know, some people, some people find magic annoying. They find it frustrating because they can't figure it out. They, they think that it's, again, a puzzle that demands a solution. So, and they can't let that go. And so they find it frustrating, and then they they're not enjoying themselves. <laughs> and and so I said, I th I think the way to engage with those people who are very puzzle minded is to uh, introduce another level to the performance uh, on which they can engage with with the performer and the performance, and that's a narrative level. And that's that's theater. That's the dramatic or theatrical level of it. Well, that's part of what you were doing when you were telling the story about like how you got hit by the yeah, car. Yeah. And, you know, you you wanted to figure out something out to blow their minds. You know, and you had a couple of months to do it while you were laid up, and uh, and then you came on and then you delivered the goods. And so it was like Babe Ruth pointing at the <laughs> uh, you know the, the place in the outfield. I wish I wish it were that cool <laughs> but, but yeah yeah it was kind of well, actually a friend of mine pointed out to me he was like if you watch the bio segment that ran before they showed my performance that was recorded the day before the live shoot in front of the audience and it's basically an interview and they pull the quotes out of it that they want and one of the last questions was well, what's the op what's the ideal outcome of this for you? And I said, and you can see it in the bio. I said, uh, the ideal scenario is that Penn and Teller look at each other and they go, "Hmm," and that's basically what happened. 
I know. That's cool. So I did so cool. sort of Babe and, Ruth style predict what happened later. Yeah. <laughs> Some questions there, definitely. Uh, yeah, so, so Penn and Teller, um, did you get to talk to them at all? I mean, other than on stage? Not much. Not much because it was a long sh- day of shooting. It was hours of shooting, and there were eight acts recorded that day, none of which were on that episode that included me. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so they were super busy, and Penn was very sick uh he had a cold or something and he was losing his voice his voice was ragged uh and i was like the second to last act that was recorded that day and by then he was his voice was just trashed and uh so i i spoke with him like maybe two sentences on he was on his way walked past me on his way to his dressing room probably to like you know, drink tea and lemon, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and take a take a break. Um, and he just he he walked past me and he said, "I saw nothing." Aww. amazing, <laughs> amazing. Uh, he was just Cause, cause completely baffled. He seems like you know, you you wouldn't want to cross him. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean. Uh, you know he's a he's a tough nut because uh, he's a giant. Yeah, all that that's part of it. Yeah, he's like, but you know, um, eight foot tall ponytail giant. Yeah, Penn he's and Teller, I mean, they're very active in the the so called skeptic community. I mean, there's many people, including myself, that would argue it's more of a a cynic community or you know atheist movement uh, rather than true skepticism. But you know, there there are you know valuable insights uh, that they have in that community. And um, I, I mm. wanted to talk to you about that, like uh, as magicians, as skeptics and atheists, I mean, what's going on there in, in, in your, in your perspective? Well, James, the amazing Randy, obviously, I mean, he's the, I mean, just an example, he's the biggest right. skeptic on the planet that had the million dollar prize. And it seems like magicians and people that do things like the seances and stuff, they have a, a vested interest in almost Against the paranormal, you know, David, what's your experience? I, I, my point of view is that skepticism has been co-opted. That that word has been co-opted uh, by debunkers, and you know, debunking has its function. Definitely, um, it's, I'm not saying that it's not of value, but I think skepticism is a different thing. If we go back and we look at the original definition of it, it basically means keeping an open mind. And I think that this, this so-called skeptics movement today is not about maintaining an open mind. It's not about free-minded inquiry. It's about, you know, proving that they're right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> You know, and I think it's, you know, the temptation to want to prove that you're the smartest person in the room is really great. Uh, I mean, as human beings, right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a human thing. But I, I just, I think we have to not give in to those kind of uh, foibles, right? And And maintain an open mind. And that's not an easy thing to do. It means sort of making peace with questions that don't have answers but but that's a good thing right uh and uh, yeah so 
I just I think a lot of the pe- people who have become very prominent in this skeptics movement now are very dogmatic and very uh, very quick to judge and and leap to conclusions and I don't think that's good. I mean, I think it should be about open-minded inquiry and, uh, you know, and not just and, dismissing things yeah, out of hand or, or you know, uh, grabbing attention by being a debunker. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, Houdini was often cast as this sort of, this sort of a noble hero skeptic, right? And... I don't, I, I don't see it that way at all. I mean, my understanding of his character from people who knew him and wrote about him is like, no, that was showbiz, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a public service he was doing. He was grabbing headlines by doing, that was what he did, <laughs> right? So, and then maybe one day he'd find somebody that could reach, you know, could reach his mom. Like if he, and if he kept doing it in the end, he would find what he was looking for. Well, I don't know that that's the case. And, and, you know, I have my own, you know, doubts about, about things, but, but it doesn't mean you stop seeking. Right. And that's, that's the point of of all of it. And I think that's what skepticism should be always seeking, always asking questions. There's the quote right there. That's, that's very quotable. Um, yeah, so, so I just think that that whole, like, skeptic movement, I mean, it is attractive. It is, it is seductive, you know, and that we live in, in this, this very materialist, reductionist world right well, now. Well, we like, we uh, like it, having answers. We like answers. Right, in dominant culture. Yeah. And especially the longer we've been alive, <laughs> you know, as you grow older, you start to lose your imagination and, and the the sort of acceptance of wonder that you oh, have as a kid, yeah. which is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think and I think honestly, in our heart of hearts, what we want if we buy a ticket to a magic show is the experience of mystery. Yeah. Is that experience of not knowing. And that's why we're buying the ticket. All of us, me, yeah, including me. It's exciting when that happens. Yeah, it's it's. Is that why you got into it in the beginning, David? Is like like so. I mean, what attracted you? I mean, it it's something, especially in Milwaukee. Like, how many professional magicians do you guys know that you can like look up to and take for a role model? Like, it's something extraordinary. Yeah, it's hard to do. I just I just yeah, got so back how, from Las Vegas yesterday. It? it was a convention with over a thousand <laughs> magicians from all over the world. Oh, wow! All, all descending on Las Vegas like locusts, but with <laughs> but with less fashion sense. <laughs> so it it was uh, it was cool to meet lots of people. Lots of them had seen the Foolish episodes, so they were coming up and saying hi and how much they enjoyed it and all that. Um, I don't know what the what the tally is for how many magicians there are in the world right now. I I, I sometimes wonder if anybody's done the math. But uh, when you were growing up, did you have a mentor? I got into it when I was seven years old. No, I I I got a magic set as a gift when I was seven, and after I learned all the secrets in that little box, I had to know more, and. So I went to the library, the local library, and I took out every book I could find about magic and just devoured all those. And then when I ran out of those, it was like, okay, now where else? 
and I discovered that there was a magic shop about 20 miles from the house where I grew up. And I, I begged my parents to take me there. And so trips to the magic shop became a, a, a regular thing. And, um, and, it, and it became a phase I never grew out of. Uh, it's a, I've found that it's a, it's a deep enough subject that it can grow with you as you grow. Right. And, uh, you know, my, my interest in it expanded to, you know, um, uh, you know, myth and, and religion and philosophy and all, all this stuff is intertwined. It, it's all of it seems to have its yeah, origins. And you, 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 uh, also, uh, you know, last time we hung out, you, you dropped this bomb on me that you have some of these awesome like first editions like uh you know of course my favorite catherine crowley <laughs> night side of nature but um we'll talk about that i mean you know these these old school like paranormal investigators well i heard about that book i and i can't remember where i first encountered it but i was like i need a copy of that book uh that it was that book and um the, the other one i sent you the yeah, this from 1936. I forgot the guy's name too. <laughs> Oops. Well, to put it, what's it about? Lord, Lord, some something or another's ghost book. Yes. These these were the two books that that came up over and over again. I, I encountered their names uh, over and over, and I thought, okay, I need copies of these books. So I I set about hunting them down, and uh, this was like in early internet days. Where Lord Halifax. Lord Halifax's ghost book. That's it. <laughs> Thank God for Google. Yeah. And uh, I managed to hunt down that one uh, on um, ABE Books back in the early days. And then I, I, uh, and then I hunted down a first edition of uh, the Night Side of Nature. Did you have to travel for that? Was I mean, was there like, did you have to like rob somebody? I mean, how'd you find it? <laughs> no, no, no. I hunted it down on the internet. Okay. Uh, and um, the cool thing was, I, I sent Allison photos of it. The the Halifax's ghost book had all this stuff like tucked into the pages, like postcards and a letter that the person oh, had cool. sent to the person he gave to the book and there there was like a, a little message written in the front of the book and uh and there are a couple notes written in the margins of the book and there, so it was a, like there's a whole like love triangle thing there's going a on. romance <laughs> going on in that yeah with, with that that book the original book giveaway yeah, yeah. So it was like, wow, this is even cooler. It's like story within the story. Yeah. Well, well it was like the book was haunted, right? Cool. By right. these cool. people who had owned it. So what compelled you to to seek out, um, you know, Catherine Crow's work from 1848 and uh, Lord Halifax from 1936? I mean, you know, what drove your interest? I was collecting stories, stories that might eventually become parts of my Halloween show and things like that. I mean, when I've done this show, you know, the version you saw here in Milwaukee and the one I've done in Evanston, um, just outside of Chicago, Haunting History, it's basically a collection of stories of you know, documented hauntings or weird macabre facts from the past. And, you know, that's always been my fascination is how 
how much weirder history is than the version we learn in school, right? It's much weirder. And <laughs> well, what, what's an example of a of one of those macabre facts that you got from one of those books, and you're like, I got to put this in the show. Like, what was the, you know, what was the fact, and then what made you say that's like, oh my god, like people are gonna love this. Like, was it bloody, <laughs> was it sick, was it offensive? Like, what 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 about it was like, I gotta well, bring this to uh, life. For example, one of the things I did last year was um, I told about how there's a there's a letter. It's actually in the British Museum. I've seen it. Uh, it's a letter from uh, uh, Johann Goethe, the author of Faust. He wrote a letter to his mother in Frankfurt, Germany, asking her if she would purchase a special toy for her grandson's fifth birthday. And the toy was a miniature guillotine. And these were very popular toys in Europe around the time of the French Revolution. And and she wrote back and said, no, I will not give my grandson such a horrible thing. And and so I found out about that letter. When I saw the letter, I was like, oh, this is I I've got to use this story that sounds dangerous i mean is it like a kitchen utensil you use it to cut carrots or i mean <laughs> you use it to cut bad kids fingers Uh-oh. off i think are you looking around yes. david because you have one you, you on guys are on video we, we you can't see this but but <laughs> oh my gosh I, I will find can you imagine somebody taking their gi joe and just well, cutting its head off I'm that's just like imagining I, all the little doll heads rolling around yeah, all over the place. I, I don't want to know. <laughs> That's like the bad could, kid in Toy Story. What could happen with that in the wrong hands? So here's the coincidence. Here's the magical part of this story. Um, and and this kind of stuff happens all the time. So I had, I had learned about this letter in the British Museum, uh, and I had noted it and thought, okay, this I have to talk about this in a magic presentation at some point. Shortly after that, I am in uh, an antique store in Chicago, and I'm sifting through... <laughs> We're going to see it right here. We'll have to take a picture of it and right. put it in the show notes. For you guys at home, he's going through his bag of tricks I am. right <laughs> his now. His literal like, bag of tricks. He actually pulled up... Here comes, there's a rabbit, there's a scarf, like the whole... <laughs> everything's coming up. Oh my God, there's his old assistant's head. <laughs> Oh, no, the, these are these are the props. The whole I brought top half of her body that I carry to the show every night. These are the props that I still have not unpacked from last night's show. A dog just flew from out from the magic cabaret last night. So, yeah, how's that happen? So, uh, I'm st- I'm standing in an antique store and I'm sifting through a bin of like photos and stuff, like old photos and things, and just you know, just idly sifting through to see if there's anything that might make a good prop, you know, in my show. And I find this. It's a Ooh. it's it's a, a portrait of a woman, Ooh. and in 18th century garb. And I look on the back of it, and it says Goethe's mother. Oh what? man! Okay, let's describe the picture for the listeners, just because they can't see it. First of all, it's in a really pretty frame, kind of an antique-looking, uh, intricate mm-hmm. metal frame. I'm guessing. I just took a screen cap of it too, so I've got it. It's a black and white portrait. And she's wearing what is that? A hat or a turban? Or yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's kind of a hat. It's a hat turban. <laughs> Very. And she looks like a matronly woman. Yeah. 
uh, strong face, very stoic. <laughs> and it's Goethe's mom. Oh wow. my goodness! And this was who he was writing that letter wow. to, asking her to purchase that yeah. toy. <laughs> what are the odds? Right. Synchronicity. Jung was talking to you. So I was like, okay, sold. So I bought oh, it. Oh, we got to talk more about that and synchronicity. Yeah. And this happens all the time. It's a, we we live in a magical universe. So, um, <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. Hold on. I ended up that. putting the piece oh my in my gosh. show, and this is the prop. The we should put a carrot in. Oh. <laughs> yes, you could put. So what happens in the show is someone in the audience puts their <gasps> finger in, and I end up driving the blade through their finger. Wow. Oh, that's horrible. I mean, that's just what Gerda's kid would have done. With bloodier results. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and that's what the French did with everybody in 1792, <laughs> but it was with their heads. <laughs> so so let's talk about this magical universe and, and get into maybe some of your thoughts on the, on the paranormal. I mean, I, you know, obviously... You you have to be skeptical because because you know how easily people can be fooled. But you know, absolutely. Uh, what is it about this world that that still intrigues you and still is still a mystery? Well, we're we're there are lots of mysteries. I mean, there's always another mystery, right? Each piece of knowledge comes with another mystery, right? Well, what <laughs> right? are your, some of your it, favorites? Your all time favorite weird paranormal stuff i mean stuff that's fooled you like you fooled Penn and teller <laughs> well you know i'm being a being human you know i've been i've sat in on you know stuff where uh, like seance recreations and stuff where i experience weird things and it's like you know i i did this presentation for i was i was asked to give up a, a presentation on spiritualism at a a conference for anthropologists years ago. And, and, uh, you know, I, at one point in this presentation, I was talking about, you know, the psychology of the seance room and what makes it work. And I said, basically the way it works is that, uh, it, you create a sense of expectation or anticipation of something weird happening. And, and what that does is it just psychologically starts the imagination going so that something weird does happen, right? <laughs> because our minds just latch onto some little thing and turn it into, well, there's a ghost in the room, right? And whatever the coincidental thing is, uh, our minds just create it. So, in a sense, the ghosts are in us, <laughs> just waiting to come out. They're waiting for the right mm -hmm. situation, the fertile situation in which that expectation or anticipation mm -hmm. exists, and then out they come, right? And and you do that all the time in your show, absolutely. I'm sure. Like you're, you set people up, and then there's misdirection in the whole thing where... I create an atmosphere in which, you know, it's a spooky old house that we're touring through. I create this atmosphere, and we turn off the lights, and it gets very dark, and, and I set it up with a story, maybe, and now, now it's, you're, the stage is set, you know, for for weird stuff to happen. I've and I've had people describe to me after seeing my show, 
um, describe to me things that they experienced that were not planned by me, were not done by me. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. And we got to talk about your ghost story from the Bromder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, and that's just one example. Because right now, uh, you know, as, as you're talking, you know, you're talking about staging, like set and setting, you know, expectations. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something beyond that. I mean, oh yeah, who knows? Right, and who knows? I, I mean, I've I've had my own experiences now. I mean, you know, I was very on the cynical side for a long, long time, and you know, I've started to now open up to things, and th- things have actually started happening. So now I can't be so quick to like dismiss things. Well, there were two two incidents in this conference for anthropologists that I think bear mentioning. One was as I was giving this talk about the psychology of the seance room and just as i said when we when we anticipate something strange and supernatural happening it often does happen just as i said those words as if on cue the lights in the room flickered dimmed down and then went back up to full brightness (laughs) and the room was silent and i said see what i mean and everybody <laughs> cracked up. Everyone broke yeah. up laughing. And and I thought, well, there's the illustration. There's there it is. Yeah. And uh and I I could see to the back of the room. There was nowhere no one near the dimmer switches. Uh so whatever that was. But but that's that's the example. The other really cool thing that cool. happened was my talk went way over time. I did a Q&A afterwards and, and all this stuff, and it went way, way over time. They finally had to kick us out of the room. Um, and uh, <laughs> so at one point, you know, I basically said, you know, we've all had weird experiences that we can't explain, right? I mean, that's just what happens to human beings in the world. And, uh, and so... A funny thing happened after I said that, you know, it was like I had given permission for for everyone there, all these anthropologists, to like share their weird stories. So so one after the other, people started saying, you know, early on when I was doing field work, I had this weird experience and of and it always they always put in the disclaimer sort of that they said of course, I never told my colleagues because I didn't want them to dismiss me as a kook. Man, see, that's just shutting out an integral part of experience, human experience. Right, right. So they said that over and over again, but then they tell their weird story. Like <laughs> oh one woman was out in a forest. She was researching some tribe in some isolated area, and she was out in a forest and this, there was an animal there, and I can't remember what she said the animal was. But they they looked at each other, and she felt like the animal communicated with her. Well, ch- chupacabras will do that. <laughs> like like they shared some significant <laughs> communication, and she she felt like, oh, I th- I need to leave that that animal an offering. So she dug in her pockets or whatever and found some item of food and left and put it down and then walked away and she said that later she went back and it was gone and uh 
but she said she she just had this weird feeling of that she had connected with this animal for a moment and and then she said of course i never told my colleagues that because they would have dismissed me as a kook so after all these people shared these stories i said okay i think there's a lesson here and the lesson is we have to give ourselves permission to be human Especially right. anthropologists. Right. Right. Anthropologists are <laughs> exactly. studying what it's like to be human. And if you can't even tell your colleagues about something that you actually experienced, there is something fundamentally wrong. Right. Which is part of why I think the, the, the culture that has grown up around the skeptics movement is not a good thing. Because it's it's... Okay, whether you buy into any of the paranormal stuff... It's data. Data is important. It should not be dismissed. You, it doesn't mean you have to believe yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It means you just collect it as data. And then what you do with it is up to you. Right. You can't just sweep it under the rug because you don't like it. Right. No. So, so I think all of this stuff, the entire realm of the paranormal, the magic, magical experience, has to be approached with a studious avoidance of belief and disbelief. Right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. Fair. Amen. Well, Amen, brother. We're with you. <laughs> now, David, we want to collect your data. Yeah, yeah, tell <laughs> us. Of, uh, of what uh, happened to you. Yeah, what happened to you at the Bromder? Can you tell that story? <laughs> that just amazed me. I certainly can. I almost yeah, forgot about it. And I've had, and this is just one example. I've had plenty of experiences where, where it's like, I had that, you know, the feeling that the anthropologist described, where it was like this sort of eerie feeling of, connectedness or or whatever and you know i've sat in on drum circles right and and a and a thing happens when when you have a room full of people and they're all focused on one thing collectively a a thing happens and you can feel it you can feel the connection happen what is that what is that Especially yeah, when it's all drummers, because it's like a collective IQ of like four. Yeah. <laughs> oh my hey, god! Right? Watch it, watch it, buddy. So I've had that experience of oh wow, something is happening here, and I can feel it happening, right? And it, and so the the trick then mm-hmm. is to not dismiss it or or tr- even try and define it. It's an experience, right? Yeah. That's what it is. Just experience it. Allow yourself to be human and experience it. The more you try to explain it, the crazier it sounds. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And you're like, oh, yeah. now I'm one of those people. Um, so uh, when you're at the Brumder Mansion, which is this, this old mansion uh, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you're in the basement theater and you are doing um, your recreation of a seance, mm-hmm. and then you... You experienced something, yes, which wasn't part of the plan. Can you tell that story? Yeah, um, it was at the point of the show where the lights have all been put out, and we're all sort of sitting in the dark, holding hands, and and deep breathing, and inviting the spirits into the room. <laughs> kind of sexy, right? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. yeah. We're back to that again. Back to- 
Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Ectoplasm <laughs> flying everywhere. Yeah. Okay, go on, go on. It, oh, it, it is kind of sexy, and it's kind of, and it's, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a collective experience, right? It's, it's, we're all connected at that point, right? And, and for a lot of people, they don't have, we don't have a lot of opportunities for that kind of collective experience anymore. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a valuable thing, uh, as an experience. So anyway, so I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm, I'm t- basically telling the spirit, I'm calling the spirits, telling them to show themselves, show yourself, give us a sign that you're here. And suddenly from somewhere behind me, uh, there's a sound like a, like, like a rush of air, like a whoosh sound and then afterward there's a glow there i can detect that there's light in the room and there shouldn't be but there it's coming from behind from behind you and you're thinking who's ruining the show like what yeah this is entirely unplanned but i i know there can be no one behind me right there's there's a wall behind me and what about the light? Didn't you make you, you made yeah, sure the room that all the lighting out. sources the and was everything was blacked, blacked out. out? So there were no sources of light in that room, and and so I, I was like, well, pretty soon our eyes are going to become accustomed to this light, and people are going to be able to see, which would actually ruin some of the effects that were planned. So I was like, I better like gallop through the rest of the script for this. So I, I basically did the seance that was supposed to last 15 minutes in about five minutes. And, uh, and um, so afterward, there had been a reporter there from, I think it was from the Marquette University uh, student newspaper. And he came up to me and he was like, that, I have never seen anything like that. He was like, you, you were silhouetted Uh, by this orange glow. (laughs) That's creepy. And, and of course I took credit for it. Of course. (laughs) Because when the universe hands you godlike powers... Right. That's all me, oh, baby. Yes. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> you say so, yes. So I was like, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you noticed all the details, right? So in his review of the show that was published <laughs> that week, he mentioned that, that effect oh, no. in the show. So everybody expected it after that, I was right? like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I thought after that conference for anthropologists with the lights dimming down as if on cue. I was like, well, I'm never going to be able to give this talk again because they'll want that to happen. And how am I going to engineer for that to happen? Right? Wow. Someone who has their hand right. on the switch of the power grid. That's incredible. Right? What I think is really interesting there, and to me what makes it extra exciting, is, is the idea that so you saw and felt something. The whoosh of air, you saw the light. And then, so that could be just you having some kind of a stroke or something (laughs) like that. But then, no, I was confirmed. But then somebody by multiple people. Yeah, that that twenty year old writing the story didn't have a stroke, (laughs) right? You know, like he, or or if you guys had simultaneous strokes, that's some weird synchronicity, (laughs) right right there. That is paranormal. That is paranormal in its own right. Yeah. But 
it's that confirmation, I think, that makes it, um, that it just goes to show that there is something there. And can we explain it? What is it? Who knows? Is it a ghost? Is it just you guys connecting in your heads? Is it a shared hallucination? Blah, blah, blah. But either way, it's something that is out of the ordinary and it's confirmed and it makes it extra fun. Like now I can't wait to the next seance I go to, you know, <laughs> like get through the, get through the banging part and get to the part where you freaking glow, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, that, that kind of stuff has happened all the time. Last year when I was doing haunting history at the, uh, the Dawes house in Evanston, I was getting ready to do the sh show. I was setting up, and it was like, I was in a rush because uh, I only have a few minutes to reset the show before the next audience comes in. And uh, so I'm rushing around, getting things set up. And just as I, there's a, there's a huge chandelier hanging from the, uh, in the, the, the grand hallway of this uh, beautiful old house. There's a chandelier hanging down from the third story uh, and just as I passed beneath that chandelier, I heard this pop, and suddenly shards of glass showered down on me. Whoa. The, one of the bulbs in the chandelier had burst right when I was standing underneath it. Mm. That's some energy. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, okay... Good thing this happened now <laughs> and not during the show, because although I would like to take credit for it, showering the audience with shards of glass probably is yeah, not that very good. Yes. <laughs> How much liability insurance you yeah, have? Yeah. But I do like the fact that these things have happened so many yeah. times that, you know, you never know. If you go to one of his shows, something weird. One of, your, one of, your, invisible, right. one of your invisible helpers might uh, <laughs> right. do something. Who knows? And I think we should plan a see you on the other side field trip yeah. to go and check out one of David's shows for sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that, that sounds like a lot of <laughs> fun. Yeah. Super fun. So David, we, we all, we've also talked about hypnosis. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. and that's another mystery. I mean, I mean, cause, cause I didn't know what to think of it. And, you know, I'm thinking it's poppycock. And what did you say? You said, I, I was, in your shoes, years and years ago, I thought it was um, silly. Uh, until I actually saw it was in anthropology. I was at a convention for magicians in Chicago many years ago. This was uh, probably in the early 80s. And uh, this guy who was an anthropologist was there. And he said, uh, well, I've come here to show you this video. Uh, because I want to ask you about it and uh, because I don't understand it and I think maybe you might. So he showed this video to this room full of magicians and it was a video of a guy basically performing surgery somewhere in South America, basically performing surgery on people without anesthetic. And, and it was like stuff like eye surgery and stuff and these people, zero anesthetic. Uh. It wasn't no, like the psychic he, he surgery was, stuff that you see, but that's probably all like magic. Total magic effect. Guys but this was effects. an actual a dude cutting with a scalpel on people who had with zero <laughs> anesthetic. On people's eyeballs. Right. <sighs> I, Slicing them up. Right. Uh, so he was like, well, the, the video included what went on before the whole surgery, which was that it 
it, the people were all gathered in a religious setting, and there were like there were hours of them chanting and praying and chanting and praying and all this stuff leading up to the eventual surgery. And so several people in the room said, oh, this is hypnosis, right? Those, those people were hypnotically inducted. That's what all that was about. And so they're under hypnosis, and that's why they're not screaming in pain during this surgery. And at that point, I was like, okay, there's no right. way I can say there's nothing going on here. I watched <laughs> him cutting on these people. And uh, so it was like, okay, yeah, hypnosis works. We don't understand why it works. We don't understand the mechanisms that make it work. Right. But clearly it works. I mean, it's not a hoax. So when pe the people actually balk like a chicken on stage, when it says like balk like, like you know, pretend you're a chicken or you believe you are a chicken or whatever under hypnosis. In effect, yeah. <laughs> that person In effect, a chicken. chicken. So... <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. think they're a chicken they aren't <laughs> like, actually a chicken here's the problem I have with that kind of act I think hypnosis is is a fascinating phenomenon and it's worthy of study but I think that study deserves to be done in a clinical setting <laughs> where, where it's science okay um, mm. hypnosis as entertainment I have a problem with and and it's and it's about consent and being able to withdraw consent and and things like that. It's I, I have never seen a hypnosis act that did not creep me out. Like really creep me out on a level of hmm. okay, is this do these people really know what they're consenting to? And can they yeah, I agree can they withdraw totally. consent if they discover that they're uncomfortable and don't want to participate anymore. And the idea of presenting this phenomenon that we don't particularly understand fully as, as entertainment, like, ha, 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 you're going to perform simulated sex acts in front of a group of total strangers, and isn't it funny and amusing? I just, I think it's not cool. Okay. <laughs> Mike's like, yay! I agree. <laughs> no, bad. And I've I've voiced my concern before about when on America's Got Talent when Howie Mandel, uh, the hip hypnotist, made him oh, shake someone's yeah. hand without a yeah. glove, and he's got the OCD really that's bad. That's pushing that past totally, the boundary. I thought yeah. that was so, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's not yeah, entertainment. Not cool. I mean, and we've discarded bear baiting and all kinds of other things that were considered entertainment in the past. I think it's time to take take hypnosis <laughs> and put it where it belongs, which is in a clinical setting where we can study it and and figure it out if we can and uh and and not be doing it as entertainment. I just think it's yeah not a good thing. I think that's interesting because, you know, one of the things they talk about in hypnosis is the hidden observer or whatever, or that idea that inside you still have this voice of reason that's still, you know, talking about it. So I watched a video with Dr. Philip Zimbardo, mm -hmm. the man behind yeah. the, stand, uh, the, the, the prison experiment, the Stanford prison experiment. And so what he was doing is he was putting people's arms in freezing ice cube water. And he's asking them how much pain it is. And so they would have somebody not hypnotized and then somebody hypnotized to have their arms in the water. And the person hypnotized could keep their arms in for much longer 
mm. but they would they would be able to tell you accurately how much pain it was. So as the person who was hypnotized, they'd be like, how much pain you feel, one to ten? They'd be like, eight, how much pain you feel? Nine, and they still wouldn't move their arm because they were told not to move their arm. And the idea was that there was still somebody inside them, or there was still a piece of their consciousness or whatever that knew exactly what was going on, was able mm-hmm. to talk about it, was everything, and they called it the hidden observer. Mm. Mm. And I just, you know, always think that, you know, there's so much to hypnosis that we don't know about. So much to the idea, I think about this, we've, we've talked about before the idea that humans might be able to be programmed, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, programmed in the way of, you know, we were talking sulfur as a trigger for our program. Uh, sure. Our hi- yeah. Or Manchurian Candidate territory. And so, you know, hypnosis is in that. And so when you're, you know, would you let somebody, would you let an entertainer on stage take your iPhone and screw with all the settings and stuff like that and screw with all the code? No, but you're letting that person on stage screw with your uh, programming code in your head. Yeah, yeah. I, so I can see why you have a problem. With yeah, that. yeah, I, I do, and <laughs> and it just like I said, I I've every hypnosis act I've ever seen gave me a creepy feeling. Uh, you know, and yeah. not not well, the good people... kind, the bad kind. <laughs> right, right, right. And Here that's what I was to about to do. That. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, David, because we got to have you on again to talk more about your experiences, more about your magic show. Oh we could gosh. have a whole show just on... And the Magic Castle. Oh, yeah. And the Magic oh, Castle. We didn't yeah. even get to that this you episode. We at the Magic so Castle. We've got, more magic to talk. Castle. We got, we've got more to talk about in the follow-up, especially if we get closer to Halloween. We can talk about uh, the history behind your seance shows and the research that had to go into that. Um, so I can't wait to talk to David Parr again. Um, but if people want to get that creepy good feeling, where can they find you? Um, well, check my website. It's davidparr.com, and that will have any announcements about where I'm doing shows. Um, I do the Magic Cabaret in Chicago every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Um, that's usually got some weird stuff in it, especially around Halloween season. We always put something spooky in the show. We did we did something with a haunted ventriloquist dummy last year. That was, oh. that was fun. Well, we're going to... Fantastic. You guys can find that in the othersidepodcast.com uh, at the show notes right there. You can find a link to David. You can find a link to the CW episode that David was on. Fool us because all CW shows are available for free to watch whenever you want online. Uh, so we'll have a link to the show and more of David's cool stuff. And we just want to thank you very much for spending an hour with us to share us uh, some of your very cool experiences, Magician Day. Thank you. And I can't wait to come back. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. Well, one of the things that we discussed in the podcast was that humans really love mysteries. That feeling of wonder and not knowing helps keep life interesting and fun, and magic is definitely part of that. We all love being fooled a little bit, whether it's willfully getting engaged in the suspension of disbelief during a movie, watching a lady being sawed in half on stage, or even in our relationships. There's what's real and what we want to believe, and often... It's just more fun to say to the person we love, lie to me. Oh
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh, just a quick reminder, if you're going to the Michigan Paracon this weekend in Sault Ste. Marie, Mike and I will be there, so please make sure and find us to say hello. We would love to meet you. And finally, a great Huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for keeping the community going here at See You on the Other Side. And we'd love for you to join our community by visiting othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And an extra special shout out to Ned. Dr. Ned is at the level of Patreon where he gets a shout out every single show. And we really, truly appreciate your help and your support and your enthusiasm for our band and our podcast. So thanks to everyone and thank you for listening. See you next time. You used it to cut bad kids' fingers off.